over time. David Barksdale and Larry Hoover were trying to do a little too much uh, of the unifying. But what's even crazier is, like, I'm just learning so much because Chicago gang culture is so much a part of the city, especially on the south and west sides where everybody just kind of knows the history. Right. But outside of Chicago, no one knows what the fuck anybody's talking about when they say, like, you say BD and GD, they like, okay, I heard the gangster disciples, what the fuck is BD? And then you, people in Chicago are like, nigga, King David, nigga, you don't know nothing about King David, Bart, man, look, look, look at him. And we don't know. And then when you find out where they were together, right, they were all folks. And then David got locked up, and at some point they fractured again. So BD is technically folks. Gangster Disciples are technically folks, but BDs be beefing with GDs. Aren't they brothers? Yeah, and I'm like, this nigga, this is too much shit to fix. I'm gonna just not wear hats. But didn't this say, is a lot. But I thought the I thought originally gangs were created to police the neighborhoods they to were. make to make the neighborhoods safer, and I didn't I didn't think they were created for no, the reasons we utilize them the for drugs today. Drugs changed that. So once they started making money, once they started um, making money with them. Now, to be fair, uh, Larry Hoover didn't create the Gangster Disciples to fix shit. He was just a badass motherfucker from the beginning. <laughs> but, you know, we coming up in the 60s, and, and in the 60s, that's when cops were really wilding the fuck out. So they turned into protection units, and the Vice Lords especially had become uh, a group of young people who were watching out for their own neighborhood. Then drug money came into it. Now, once you start... Uh, putting money and finances involved now we competing you can't be on this block so they would have make sure that other people other groups from other other parts of the city didn't come in and take over their territory but it was technically still supposed to be to protect their neighborhood now it's just on bd i'll shoot you why they the ops nigga what makes them your opposition they were born on a different street yeah that's literally like they the opposition why because they were born on 63rd and I was born on 55th. The 55th is BD and they GD. So you gonna shoot them when you see them? Yeah. I wonder if at this point gangs are habitual. It's just yeah. uh, it's just part of what they know versus the 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 original yeah, ain't no. reason was to um, well, protect or to uh, deal with a fear that that, in, that yeah. those individuals had at that time. Well, they, they turned into what they feared, and that happens a lot. Like, they're like, my neighborhood isn't safe, so let me create this organization that will make sure that my neighborhood is safe, at least for me, my family and my friends. Now your family and your friends are the targets because of these groups. Right. That's interesting that you said you be, they become what they fear the most. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true for, every, for everything and everybody? I, I think that's true in the sense that... Um, in order to protect yourself, sometimes you, you start looking at what you fear and to fight that back, you start to take on its characteristics. Like if you in a uh, violent relationship, the thing that you fear is getting hit. So you can either run or learn how to defend yourself. And once you learn how to defend yourself, you're like, well shit, I can hit too. So now when that person does something you don't like, you respond to them the way that they used to respond to you. Right. You hit first. And Do you think in those situations when people break up, and they go into new situations, the original offender becomes they, I the think actual... They, um, the victim in the next... The vic well, no, not the original victim becomes the offender. I'm they sorry, can. I said that backwards. They can yeah. in a lot of cases. And even if you look at like race in that sense, look at how black people respond to other black people and other races. It's very similar to how white people used to respond to... Well, still respond to black people, but there's this inherent superiority complex that we have to have like we talk about a person who gets one rung up on the ladder and now they look down at the people who they were just on the same level with and look at them as if they're, and beneath, look at them as them. they're beneath me right yeah. so a lot of uh when when men when black people start getting elite like a black person gets some money and now look at these hood ratchet and i hate that ghetto shit Fam, you were ghetto 15 minutes ago. What, what <laughs> but is that not every? Is that just black, or is that oh, just in general? Everybody. It's that's just like if once you get once you get money, you feel yeah, like. Yeah, I think that thing that so America's got all these different weird intersections. You got race, you got gender, you got class, you got literal wealth because class and wealth don't always match up. Like my uh, wife was talking about growing up in Oak Park and how on her same block there were Asian people, Latino people, black people, and white people. And also on that same block, there were wealthy white people, and then there was a group of Polish white people who had moved in, and they could afford to live in the neighborhood, but you could tell they didn't have extras. 
You know what I mean? Right. It was, it was just, like we live here, and that is that. We not buying no fancy cars. We not might not buy a car. Right at all. Or all. Yeah. So it was there were different wealth levels, and they looked they treated each other like that. Like fam, you live on the same street, but those are the poor's. Right, so you can't play with them because they're not raised properly. Because we also look at poor people as somehow being morally fucked up. Right. So if you're poor, I don't want my kids playing with you because the poor might rub off on you. I wonder if that's because typically in poor situations, the parents are trying to provide, so they don't have time to teach the children certain values and certain things. That's some of it, I'm sure. I also think some of it is just this country idolizes wealth so much that we assume wealthy people are just. Better. Good people. Yeah, and, and they're we not. have a president that proves that's not true. This yeah. motherfucker is a horrible, as far as his character, his moral character, mm -hmm. he's a shitty person. His money doesn't change that. And he had both parents who were also wealthy. And his kids don't seem to be much better. They out yeah. shooting fucking elephants. Elephants are now growing without tusks. They're born and they're they're evolving to not have tusks. And the reason they are is because they've been poached so much, the elephants are like, well, fuck it. I can't use these motherfuckers for shit. And y'all are killing me for them. Like right. there's the nature itself knows in order to protect this species, I have to create this species without the thing that people are killing them for. How bananas is that shit? And so why haven't we become white? Um, because How, why haven't nature figured that out? If that's the case, because we getting killed for being black. Well, yeah. Well, the other part to that is, and we are getting lighter and lighter in this country. But I think part of that is um, that is true though. The, we are getting lighter and lighter. Yeah, but the distance between sub-Saharan black, which is where we all came from, which is the blackest of black, the gum black, the palm black, to white is that's a long ass way. journey. Yeah. Right, and there's a lot of environmental shit that has to happen. White people didn't just become white because they moved away from the Sudan. They became white because they very specifically moved into these very cold places. Yeah. And I didn't, I, like I noticed this in some places, like there seemed to be fewer light-skinned people. I don't know if there's any statistics or studies on this, but go down south and you still, you like, man, this is where the original black people are. Yeah, part of it. But also there's no reason for their bodies to evolve for a different climate. They're because still warm. it's still warm there. But go to New York. So but would, many but, but would that people. also be the primary place that, you, if you think about it, the South is where they had majority slaves. Right. So they brought slaves directly from Africa. So you would assume that they would be well, the darker. That plus, I think, as race is mixed with slave rape, uh, black people knew inherently that if you took advantage of this benefit that you have, which is being lighter, Mm -hmm. which is the closer proximity you have the white, the less harmful people are to you. And even if you look at most of our leaders throughout history, the darker leaders weren't treated as well. Marcus Garvey wasn't treated like W.E.B. Du Bois. And it wasn't because they weren't great, both great speakers. Marcus Garvey looked black. Right. Du Bois, I mean, looked he like looked he black, but he mixed. was, yeah, yeah, he looked mixed. And you see this with uh, dating practices. You see dudes, dark-skinned dudes, I only date light-skinned women. Why? It's not that you necessarily find them more attractive. It's that you feel like your kids are going to have a chance at having good hair. Or your kids are going to have a chance at passing and not having to deal with shit that you have to deal That's with. That's fucked up that you still have to say passing. It's 2017 and, and you have to say passing. But you know what? That is true because I, I, I was never comfortable with being dark skin. I mm -hmm. became comfortable with that later in life. But initially, it was hard to be you dark skin. You to grow skin. into yourself. Yes, it was hard to right. be dark skin. It was hard to be accepted as a dark skin woman. The boys didn't like us. Oh, absolutely. Not. You know, and Absolutely we were considered not. rough. We were considered loud. We were considered ghetto. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of Same shit that baby. was against black. Uh, I was literally thinking women. about this as I was walking up about uh, people who exclusively interracial date and some of the things that I hear them say. And it's uh, you know I don't de deal with black women because of their attitudes. I don't deal with black women because they always ratchet. I don't do. And then I see these guys and the girls that they're dating are often the white sorority girls who, and you know, of course there's variants in all of these groups, but these are the girls who will go and get drunk and it's, oh my God, oh my, okay, oh my God. I'm like, that's loud and ignorant too, but you don't call that ratchet. That's cute right. sorority girl shit. Why is that considered different? Because we've been conditioned two different ways. One, we've been conditioned to believe that white beauty is the beauty. European standards of beauty are beautiful. Mm -hmm. So if you're black and you're attractive, that means you're likely black with white features a narrow nose, maybe thinner lips, maybe uh, wavier hair. Gee, I right? love that Snapchat filter 
the one with the big lips. Mm-hmm. You see, I be doing that shit all on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. I love that big lip bitch. Like, I love her to death. But and, now here's what's crazy And it's because it. I, I just feel so, like... Exaggerate the stuff that y'all hate. Yes. Y'all. But now flip I, this. I when you hear it. these same black dudes talking about white women are evolving, what are they saying? They're saying white women all of a sudden have the thick, high asses, the thick thighs. The stuff that you don't want big, of us. The stuff us. that you don't want from us, but you're okay with it with a white woman. Yeah. So it goes beyond the European beauty standards because black men are still traditionally attracted to black women's features we like a ass we like thighs where are we gonna get those well black women but we've been taught that white women are the thing that we should want to achieve that's the trophy so if you can find you a trophy with black women features oh sir you killing the game right or you can find you a light-skinned black woman either way you killing the game what you don't want is a black woman not to move off of this but my daughter said last night when we was in a car about um we were talking about blacks and, and anger and, you know, and how, because this angry black woman thing is so real yeah. uh, for how people perceive us. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we're not angry and sometimes we got a fucking reason to be, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but my daughter said last night and it was so, it was such a profound thought that I would have never thought of at that age. <laughs> At all, I guarantee you. so much better than us. so much better than us now. It's so crazy. But she said, you know what's interesting to me is that black people, the original black people in Africa, were some of the most peaceful black people ever. Mm -hmm. She said the way that they they, um, treated each other, Mm -hmm. the way that they respected their traditions and their culture, she said it was not like this. She said now we're here and we're considered angry and we're considered mean and mad and and then the police and and white people or other people expect us to be a certain way initially off the the back, but it's like no, we're actually not like that. Well, we don't wanna be angry at all, but you keep giving me shit to be angry about. And I've seen uh, a white woman lose her shit over being told by AppleCare (laughs) <laughs> that they would have the phone that she was looking for at the Apple store. And yeah. when they didn't, she went slam what we call the fuck off. Yeah. I've Apple. seen a lot of white people snap off like, where's your manager? Like, they want to talk. I've seen that a lot. And then you see a black person walk into the same store. We don't have it here. Man, shit. That's crazy. Well, let me. Do you know where that where I can get one? Well, calm down. What do you mean calm down? All I asked you was where can I get it? So the, the assumption that you're angry, number one. And I, I think part of that is just guilt. But do we reinforce <laughs> these stereotypes, like, to an extent? Because I think it, it, a small part of me feels like we become what we are told we are. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know you know how that goes. Your husband says, well, why are you angry? And you go, I'm not angry. And he goes, mm, I think you're angry. And then you become and angry you become at that angry. motherfucker. Like, right. I'm angry because you're telling me I'm angry. And now you've proved his point, but you haven't proved. <laughs> yeah, but that's I, so yeah, true. I think there's part of that. But you I, might I have had think, those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just the misreading of, of cultures. Like, we are prepared. If you grew up in any neighborhood that there was any amount of violence, uh, you're prepared, you prepare yourself every day with a straight face. Mm-hmm. We talked about this before. Who the fuck thinks it's normal for someone to just be walking towards you smiling and I don't know you and you're not coming to speak? Why are you so happy, sir? And it's not that I expect you to be unhappy. Just give me a blank blank slate. I'm not comfortable with that. So we're already perceived with this blank face as being angry. Yeah. When we turn Resting angry, bitch face is resting what they bitch call face. it. And which is there's some misogyny mixed into that. Absolutely. Part too. But there's, yeah, I mean, when you see a black guy, if I furrow my brow... I'm focusing on something. I'm not angry. I'm, I might have read something that made me think. So now my face is scrunched up because I'm thinking. It's, it's, I'm pondering some shit. And so what's wrong with you? But if that's you the see, next what's question. What's wrong? Nothing's yeah. wrong, motherfucker. I just read some amazing shit. I just read that black people don't really have a vitamin D deficiency, but the test doesn't show that because it doesn't know how to check for that. But it made my face frowned up thinking about every other thing. That is that I've true? Been, yeah, that's actually a true story. Because uh, I, I apparently have vitamin D Probably deficiency. Not. Probably not. Just that the they equate it to the MS. Yeah, like, I mean, there's you know, a, there's, together. there's a possibility, but there's but you know also what, this thing where they test us and they're just finding out that genetically there's enough difference between us and white people that when they like our level of vitamin D doesn't need to be as high because we have melanin and melanin helps us to receive the sun better. Okay. So the vitamin D is supposed to help you receive the sun and use the sun better. And since we already have a higher level of melanin, we need less vitamin D. So if you check my vitamin D levels and you go, oh, it's low. Based on what? Well, the average white person should have X amount of. But do they go based on the average white person or the average? 
everything I'm asking, goes, like, do it. That's the problem. Everything goes based on the average white person because they're the standard. Because we generally don't say white person unless it's a group of black people talking about white people. If you're a white person talking, you say, well, people are people. And black people and Native American people and Latino people, but you, white people don't say white people. We generally don't say white people. When you read an article and it says most people think this, well, look at black people. If we look at the vote, most people voted for Hillary Clinton, but most white people voted for Donald Trump. Almost exclusively black people voted for Hillary Clinton. Black women in particular, 96% of black women voted for Hillary Clinton. 88% of black men voted for Hillary Clinton. Latino people, 60 plus percent of Latino people voted for Hillary Clinton. But people will still say, well, it was almost 50-50. No, the fuck it wasn't. It wasn't even close with non-white people. White people were 50-50. So when they're seen as the standard. So you're saying that statistics and, and conversations is. We're all is biased all, it's, it's people, people, people until specifically talking about blacks. Black people, or Latino people. Hispanics. Asian and people. that's when it has to be. Then we have to give it a name. Because clarified. people are white. Everyone else is a type of people. You're a black white people. You're an Asian white people. You're a Latino white people. And that's why the new thing for liberals is to say, well, I don't see color. Yes, you do. You absolutely see color. Because you, you, you know that when I say a man, you're not thinking a black man or a Latino man. When someone says to me, a man did this, and they didn't put one of those labels on it, I assume it's a white man. That is true. That is true. Because anytime the word... Uh, talking about something and it's so crazy because you don't want to say it's been times where I've been in situations where I may have been talking to a manager or I may have been talking to somebody about somebody and I was like well the guy with the green shirt on and the purple hat and and he had on the jean the black dude man the right. fucking black you dude know you I know what I mean like dude, but you don't want to say right. the black dude you're trying to figure well, out another the, way the funny thing is when you said the purple shirt the the green pants the yellow hat they were thinking of every white dude they knew that was wearing that, and they couldn't remember one. Couldn't and as out. soon as you said the black, go, oh, well, why didn't you, when I said purple shirt, why didn't you think of him first? Because he's not the man. He is a black man. We now, will always have that identifier until culturally, this country in particular, but in general that happens. But this, culture, this company, uh, country in particular, the baseline for humanity is white, and every other culture has to prove their humanity. And so, you know, if someone is loud and arrogant and ignorant, you say, fucking ratchet ass motherfucker, you think black first. You just do. See, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because I was talking with this young lady from the DuSable Museum last night. I did a, a, a panel talk with Deborah Robinson. She did a documentary about black female comedians back in 1984 called I've Been done is was i mm. believe is the name okay. of the movie um sounds fun but it she was she was having we were having this conversation and i was talking to the coordinator of the dusable museum and she was saying she grew up in seattle mm -hmm. and the percentage of black people there is like three percent right and because there is very little black people there they don't look at they don't classify things black white asian it's not a classification there. Right. It's very generalized. And she said when she moved to Chicago, it was so weird for her mm. to have that connection with people because everything was about black. Everything was about this, everything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if that is a big city thing. It's partially a big city thing. It's absolutely. Uh, and the crazy part about big cities in this country the, the four biggest cities, L.A., New York, Chicago, and uh, Dallas, I think it is, account for such a large portion of the population. Just think about New York City alone is 8 to 10 million people on any given day. There's 320 million people in this country. How is 3% of the country in one city? Right. But if you take that 8 million and then you take the 6 million in, Cal in L.A. and then you take the three million here, and then you take the three or four million there and you start adding it up, you're like, wow, 10% or more of the country literally lives in those four cities. Huge country, but in just those four cities, a big portion of this country lives. Now, if you take the states, California's 32 million people. New York City, I mean, New York State is over, is, is nearing 20 million people. That's 50 million people just in those two states. 
Then you take Texas, as big as it is, and it's probably another 10 million people in those states. That's 60 million people. That is 20% of the entire country lives in just those three states. Which means 20% of the entire country has this ideology of color lines. Ideology. Right. And then no you matter go, what. No matter what. And then you go to the South. You got Alabama, uh, Arkansas, Mississippi, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida. You can't take the color lines, the out, color of that. lines out of that. You can't. So now you got another big chunk. And then you've got Montana where there's almost no black people. So they said, well, there's no color here. No, no, no. We don't see color here. Absolutely you do. You just don't, you don't have to deal with it every day. But it exists. And so we have this thing where uh, all of these people think color doesn't matter to me. Yeah, because you're not brought face to face with it every day. But reality is, it definitely matters. There's a movie called uh, Medicine for Melancholy with Wyatt Cenac. And uh, it, it, it's also the guy who did the screenplay for Moonlight, I want to say. Um, but it's an older movie, not super old, maybe 2007, 2008. And they're both in the Bay Area um, hipster scene. So it's two black people in this very white hipster space. Mm -hmm. Now, people in the Bay Area may tell you both sides of that. Oh, I don't really see race. We don't deal with it. This is a very progressive area. You know, I do feel a lot more comfortable when I go to the Bay Area. Though. Right. They do have that, that sense of but acceptance. But then in those very special spaces like that, he felt she didn't that was the play in this movie was that he felt like an outsider because he definitely was black and he was like i like black people i like black women i want to date a black woman but i want to date a black woman with my similar interests and in this space i don't find her and the white women who are attracted to me are attracted to me specifically because i'm black right and the spaces that i go to i have to be slightly less black in order to fit in and so i think some of these places where they don't think race is that present it's subconsciously very present. I wonder will we ever get past that though? Because I don't, I don't know if it's possible, but I think to myself, I'm married to an Asian man, mm -hmm. right? And and it's always, as, as secure as I am in my marriage, mm -hmm. it's always a question of, of should I be married to a black man, right? Mm -hmm. Should I be? And I think that's just in general, right? If yeah. you are you if you marry outside your race, you're gonna always Am have I that. My people down? Are you are you are you right? Are you the one that's <laughs> that fucked up the whole <laughs> movement that we were going for? But not only that too. Well, even within black, like Kendrick Lamar's girlfriend is black, but there was a movement. It was a young lady who was just super pissed off. How are you gonna be pro-black dating this high yellow chick? As that's crazy. If her black was not valid because it wasn't dark enough. And weirdly enough, when I was growing up, I had the opposite uh, issue when dating. The browner or darker, the better. And I don't know where that came Tupac. from. My wife is super light. The black of the berry. The I, the shit, I was dating them 13, 14. <laughs> My first girlfriend, Sybil Jennings, was brown as a Sybil. motherfucker with uh, Yes, she was with the name Sybil. Sybil. Yeah, she had somebody's <laughs> grandmama name already. Um, but yeah, I dated predominantly and every now and then I would date a light-skinned woman and when I did I always felt like am I dating her because she's light-skinned do I think she's pretty just because she's light-skinned so I've been married twice in between my marriages I would say 80% of the women I've dated have been darker than you if I were to be honest I've dated dark-skinned men but I have always leaned towards lighter men it's just been I married preference. to light women it's been a preference of my, like, my I, I like lighter men. And I don't know if it was because I was never secure with being dark myself or because I wanted them to look completely opposite of my father yeah. Yeah. or completely opposite well, see, of the people the I grew up around. My mom's super light. And so I think and I was attracted to something different. So dark-skinned women were almost exotic to me. And mm -hmm. it's fucked up because there's looking at it, I could say, damn, I was fetishizing dark-skinned women. Like I was looking at them and going, I like you because your skin is dark. Right. Not I like you. I like you because your skin is dark, because you have black features, because you have big lips and flaring nostrils, and, and you look black. Oh my God, I used to, to always get the nostril oh, thing. Because my, my nostrils. nostrils are so big anyway, and I used to always get that. I used to get teased about it. And, and see, everything. I got little black people features. Like, I got, I'm clearly black. I got full lips, but I got a very small mouth. My nose. You know, if you don't know any better, oh, that's a European nose. Now, if you know Ethiopians, you'll go, yes, yeah, Ethiopian nose. But I say that like Ethiopia. So here's but the. But see, even even blacks consider Ethiopians to be Ethiopians, not right. blacks. Now here's something even funnier <laughs> it's like than a, that. It's a, it's if a you look at the difference, you look at the the entire Ethiopia. 
the only it's the same baseline the same colorism is involved there because when you think ethiopian you think a very specific light narrow nose curly hair the sunken eyes but definitely lighter than normal they actually their skin is more of a it's a dark but light it's, it's a, it's a undertone, weird undertone, undertone. yeah it's a yeah. very but, but it's very dark though if you look at oromo people they're Who? extremely dark oromo so that's a, a whole large group of people it's probably 30 percent of ethiopia is oromo your complexion. I've never heard that word. The lightest Oromo is your complexion. Wow. Those they look like me with their hair. Their hair grows down like this in the front. It's a app. And then look at the Suri people or the Surma people. They are uh, over in the southwestern corner of Ethiopia, and they look just like any other the the traditional Americanized version of what an African is. Plate lips. That's a Suri people thing or Surma people thing. They're all over Ethiopia in that portion of the country. So when you say Ethiopian people, Surrey people are Ethiopian people, Oromo people are Ethiopian people, but the standard when you think Ethiopia is the Habisha light skin, curly hair, wavy hair, narrow nose. So even in this part of the of the world, which is the cradle of but I the don't rest though. Of humanity, I don't think that when I think Ethiopian. I think the dude I that said, yeah. I am your captain now. Right. That's what I think now of he's when Somali, I think e but here's Ethiopian. Right. Now he's Somali, <laughs> but they all share features. So you go Somali, Eritrea, parts of Egypt, uh, they all look similar. And we can sometimes tell Eritrean and Ethiopian we struggle with and that's because until 1990 Ethiopian and Eritrea were one country right. so you look at an Eritrean and you're like I can't tell but there are a couple of differences not major and you can't really tell sometimes but that's the thing even with these people the lightest of them is considered the ones with the curlier hair are considered the standard and it Egypt Egypt is an African country, but the lightest Egyptians are the ones that we think of as Egyptians. Morocco, African country. There are absolutely dark Moroccans, but you don't think about them when you think of Moroccan people. You know, so all of these countries, even Italy, when you think Italy and you look at Sicilians, super dark people. But when you think of Italians, you think of the vino drink. Da, 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 da. I was going to say, I definitely don't think black. You definitely when I don't think, think of black. Italian. So, yeah, I mean, I, and I'm not. I, I didn't even think black when I thought Jewish. And I, and I was, I was put, I was put up on that yesterday because the young lady that I was talking about for the Dusabo, her father is Jewish. Right. And she said that. And I was like, no. huh. Is he white? And she said, right. <laughs> I, I automatically thought right. that he was white. And she was like, no, she said he's black. But mm -hmm. they don't know that a lot large majority of Jewish people when they went from they went from well think of where they started they went from Africa right if you think of where they started Europe the it likelihood like a, that the Jewish people were light it's just highly improbable yeah there just weren't a lot of light people in in Bethlehem and in, and even if you start where the Jews were Babylon let's go all the way to Iraq so which is now Baghdad. We don't consider them white people. They may consider themselves white people now, but nobody else does. White people don't. If white people considered Iraqis white, then we wouldn't have a, a ban on those people coming here because there are more Muslims who are non-Arab in this world than there are Arab Muslims. But the only countries where we're trying to keep the Muslims from, or to keep Muslims out from, are Arab nations and two African nations where they're kind of mixed, right? But that's how we see things. We see the bad ones are the not white ones. There's a big Norwegian Muslim population. There's a big Bosnian, Turkish. And we look at Bosnians as white people. They're absolutely white yeah. Eastern Europeans. Absolutely. And they are predominantly in that area that the number of Muslims in that area is so high. But Geographical knowledge. We don't know all yeah. this. Like, I don't even know. I'm an Arsenal soccer fan, and one of their players is named Mesut Ozul, who's, uh, I want to say he's Turkish, but if you look at him, light-skinned white dude, he's pale white dude, got a little olive to his skin, so maybe he's Italian or somewhere Mediterranean, but he's definitely not Muslim. He's absolutely Muslim. There's so many Muslims that don't look like what we think Muslims look like because we've been conditioned here to think all Muslims wear turbans and kufis and robes and we don't think that the biggest part the biggest portion of muslims in this world are indian indian indo-chinese so how come we don't think chinese people when we think or asian people when we think muslim there are more asian muslims than anything else why isn't that the predominant thought well it started in arabia did it did it really if you look at where it's located that wasn't considered what we're calling it now 
the Ishmaelites were the sons of Abraham. So if they were the sons of Abraham and so were the Israelites, why don't we see Palestinians and Jews as brothers? We don't. One is darker. The Ishmaelites were darker. And so they're the ones that we don't like. And see, you know what? It, it, to me, I would think that the, the divide would be based on character and the behaviors of certain people, not necessarily the color or where we come from, or because you have though, and give assign one of them as uh, necessary and others as terrorists. Because if 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 the Palestinians made a strike against the Israelis because they were encroaching on their land, we would call that a terrorist attack. We would call we would say Hamas is trying to destabilize the region. If we look at, very easily you can look at what's happened in that region, you get to pick who shot first. I don't get to pick that, but the media gets to pick it. So if you are pro-Israel, you go, well, of course Israel fired on Palestine. Palestine was the aggressor. But if you are Muslim or Palestinian-leaning, you go, they're just trying to protect themselves from having their land taken from them in the 60s. Right. They're trying to fight back. And if you look at the size of what used to be Palestine over the last 50 years, it's gone from this big to very small. Can't nobody see what your hands is doing. I, well, they, they'll figure it out. It's <laughs> from very big to not big at all. It's in spots. And, and the idea is, if we flip this around, if the Palestinians had taken the amount of land that Israel had and over the years decreased it by 90%, we would call them the aggressors and we would say, you can't allow that. We see what's happened with Russia and the Ukraine. When Barack Obama was the president, then Russia going into Crimea was a crime. You don't get to go into people's land and say, now I'm your boss. Yeah. But now that Trump is the president, and we've clearly as a country changed our position on Russia, now all of a sudden, well, you know, Ukraine used to be part of the USSR, and he has a right to do what he needs to do in his area. We shouldn't be involved. It's, it's no matter how we slice it, it's not about character. It's about who's writing the story. If a Muslim is writing a story, then the, the Crusades were about Europeans coming in and trying to change Muslims into Christians using guns and swords. If a Christian is writing it, well, they're just coming back and protecting themselves from these encroaching Muslims who are trying to take over the world. No matter what we're talking about, it's never just as simple as this is right and this is wrong. It's about who's telling the story. And that's one of the reasons I think people like Ava DuVernay and, so many filmmakers now, but we've got all of these black filmmakers, black writers, Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Bomani Jones doing sports, Stu Stuart Scott, rest in peace, who used to do sports. Having black people tell the stories from their point of view, having yeah. black directors who see these stories the way that black people see them. And not try to change them when they get the and script. And not try to change them when they get the script. Because that happens all the time. You write a script a specific way, and then the next thing you know, they're that. like, well, I don't think that part is necessary. Oh, right. the part where they took my entire existence. That's not necessary? We did, a, uh, <laughs> we did a, the, the Black Side of the Moon in D.C., and there was one scene, we called it Black Scrooge, and shout out to Dwayne Perkins, who's an amazing writer. The but, shit. Uh, in the middle of that, that big scene, it's three separate scenes, past, present, and future. In the present scene, uh, we had a guy, Dwayne would pretend to be the white guy we were interviewing, mm -hmm. and I would be the interviewer. And I would ask all of these uh, micro-aggressive questions, like uh, his name would be Robert Smith, and I'd be like, Smith, huh, that sounds ethnic, where are you from? And he'd go, uh, Milwaukee, and I'm like, no, originally. Like, I'm, I'm asking you where are your people from? Right. Right, but he's like, motherfucker from Milwaukee. I'm like, okay, cool. Says you went to Loyola. You know, I really appreciate affirmative action for letting me, you know, identify all these qualified candidates. He's like, mm, I got in on my own merits. And I'm like, oh, and your single mom must be so proud. These are things, like, <laughs> and you know, but the director of the show was white. And to his benefit, Billy a lot of times would go, is that a big deal? And we would go, yes. He'd go, cool, let's leave it in. Because he recognized as a white guy, he might not know that this is an important message for us to get out. To right. him, it's like, eh, it just seems like a small joke. To us, it's like, fam, all of us deal with this. And that's so true. Being at uh, being at the DuSable last night and speaking, we had a Q&A, and uh, this one woman was like, when are you guys going to do a film or write something about the way that the black woman's mind work? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and in my mind, being an artist and a creator myself, all I can think of is if that's something, that's the story you want to tell, then why aren't you tell it. telling it? Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think that, I don't think a lot of people 
I don't want to specifically say black people, but there are a lot of black people that have all these great ideas and they have stories from their perspective that they want to tell it, they want to share, they just don't know how. And mm -hmm. so instead, you just bottle it in and complain because about no the one shit else is doing because the thing nobody else done. is doing the thing that you want done. Exactly. And all I could think was write it. Well, and that's what do, I said. I that. I said that write black it. Comedy. <laughs> I used to do that with black comedy where I would get upset that there was only one type of black comedy where you had white comics you had, and they're all considered mainstream, but you had stoners, you had storytellers, you had guys who stood in one place and just shot off one-liners. You had- The um, dude that was all over the stage. Dude that was all over, you had Steve Martin who was a physical comic. You, you had, had all Carrot the, Top. Yeah. I don't know if he's white. I don't know if he's a comic. <laughs> That's unnecessary. But yeah, but for black yeah. comedy, it at some point it all turned into Def Jam. And it didn't mean there weren't other funny black people. It meant in order for you to be accepted by black people, you had to be that. Because white now, did comics, that happen in the Eddie Murphy era? I don't think where it people did. started to classify. I, I think it started black happening later towards the eighties, late after after Raw and Delirious is when the flip I think happened. Because even when you look at prior, there wasn't this. Now black comedy existed that way too. Red Fox was already doing Red Fox. Moms Mabley was already doing Moms Mabley. But Cosby had already started to turn over this mainstream thing for black people. And Dick Gregory had gotten invited to Johnny Carson and actually sat on the couch. And Dick Gregory didn't do the Chitlin Circuit type of material. And so then you had Richard Pryor who was a fucking rock star before rock stars existed. And then Eddie Murphy was also this big rock star, maybe bigger than Pryor as far as people wanting to see him. Mm -hmm. After that though, we got Def Jam and we got Comic View. And for those few minutes on stage, you started to see they have to laugh immediately. And so I don't have time to tell stories. I don't have time to create characters. I don't have time to write these long jokes. I gotta make them laugh quick. Which are, which are characteristics of performing in black neighborhoods though. The characteristics of performing in black neighborhoods. And because Def Comedy Jam did well financially for Russell Simmons and Comic View did well for BET, then every there was this whole slew of black comics coming up behind them that saw that as the only accurate, authentic kind of black comedy. And so they went this long period, go from say 91, 92 to 2000 and whatever. And if you were a black comic, you needed to be that kind of black comic or you were a sellout. No one called Richard Pryor a sellout, even though the majority of his audiences were white. His movies were not black movies. Not in the sense that we look at black movies now. Eddie Murphy, you're not gonna tell me that Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, Trade and Play, those weren't black movies. Right. He was mainstream. He was as mainstream as Kevin Hart is now. But we look at Kevin Hart like he's trying to get that white money. That is so true. What? People do say that. I have no problem with Kevin Hart. I think that he's done well with his career. I also think he's one of the hardest working human beings Very on the fucking hard working. planet. And I be seeing him posting shit at 4 a.m. talking about he at the gym. Nigga. He at the gym. I am turned First, over. Keep this in mind, too. <laughs> Kevin Hart is like 5'3, five, 5'4, five, 145 pounds. I just saw him bench 225 three times. I haven't been able to do that since I left prison. Now, I was a little bigger than that when I was doing that. So yeah. I'm looking at him like, you've gone from being a scrawny little black kid from Philly to being in your best physical condition, yeah. at the peak of your economic career potential. You're doing movies. You're still doing stand-up regularly. Yeah. And he's still popping up at the cellar working on new material. There's not a part of his life that he's not trying to do the most with. But you know what though, that, and, and we're gonna sum it up with this point, that brings me back to the initial conversation mm -hmm. of this podcast, which was supposed to be fear. We didn't do that at all, mm -hmm. but I think that we, a lot of people fear, <laughs> a lot of people that are hating on Kevin Hart specifically, fear that they will never reach their potential. So right. therefore they have to negate all of his hard work and say, well, that's because of this, or well, he's doing that. And, what, and I will say, I will say that unfortunately, when you become famous yeah. because of working the white mainstream circuit, blacks do eventually Turn. start to like you. And, and you don't have that when you're trying to work the blacks. It's not the same sometimes. Well, that's, that's the, the scariest part about that. And that was my fear is, first of all, you do want to be funny to your people. I don't think Absolutely. that's normal. I, I don't think that's abnormal for you to go, I want black people to find me funny. But you also psychologically do know, look at Dave Chappelle. Black people didn't really fuck with, with Dave, Dave Chappelle until, he, yeah. until white people fuck with him. 
the, what we don't, what we have to acknowledge in that whole conversation is white people have a bigger platform. They they're have the ABC, NBC, CBS, too. Fox. They're the majority. So there are a lot of times where we don't have the mechanisms and the platforms to make people stars. You could be a hood star, but no one's going to know you on that broader platform. And now there are people who are like, I don't give a fuck about the broader platform. Mm -hmm. Cool. But if you want to leave generational wealth, like Kevin Hart clearly is trying to do here, you need that bigger platform. And sometimes, yes, white people have made black people famous to black people. We can't pretend that's not a real thing. It is. White people made Eddie Murphy famous to black people. Yeah. If, if we want to be honest. Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live, Live and then the movies. Yeah. And then we all went, God damn, this motherfucker's funny. Well, why didn't we think he was funny three years ago when he was already funny? Right. Because white people hadn't given him. And so, yeah, I mean, there's part of that, the way you say it, white people gave him that platform. That's the part that turns our stomachs and we like Ugh, and you know I don't what want white and people to give me anything from the from the movie that we saw last night i've been was did is i think mm -hmm. it is i, I didn't fuck I up that up. name you, what, you said it right the first time but, i've but been you split is was it was is not is was so it was is uh i've been done i be done been was is okay i be done been was is mm -hmm. a point that um that Jane made in the movie was, we're not going to excel as black people until we start to accept each other as we are. And that's the biggest thing that I feel is true, is that we don't push our talents within our, in our own, in our own bubbles, like you can do this, you're great, go for it, as you are. and we lift you up and lift you up and lift you up. Instead, we 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 tear it down, and then it when we jump like ship, mine. when we jump ship and go to the to sell the out. mainstream or the sellout room, mm -hmm. right? When we're over here in the sellout room, and then we we expand so big that we blow up out of that room. Now you got everybody else saying, "Oh yeah. shit, I like her, or I like him, or he's great, or she's great." Shout and that, out to Mary Lee. Mary Lee says something all the time that I appreciate, and she use, she gives it as advice, but it's just a very important thing for all of us to know you are enough yeah that's it as you are you're enough and it doesn't have to look like or sound like someone else's the reason that's important is you're a storyteller you're a, 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 a performer you're an artist there is someone in the audience who has these ideas but doesn't know how to get them out you have the same idea someone looks at you and sees themselves mm -hmm. and if you try to do your art the way everyone else does their art you are not only denying yourself the truth, but you're denying that audience member from seeing someone who looks like them. You're mm -hmm. authentic, authentically you. Yep. So if you do you, someone who relates to you and identifies with you is gonna see you and they're gonna be a fan. And for me, it was when I realized I don't have to use slang or not use slang on stage. You talked to me a shit ton of times over the years. There are times when I'm as aggressively urban as anybody else on this planet where it's a whole bunch of men, fuck that motherfucker, I stabbed that nigga in his dick. And then there are times where I take my time and think through what I'm saying and, it, and, and I articulate it differently. Neither one of those things is fake. Both of those are exactly who I am in different moments in different places. And so when I'm on stage, some of it is very well thought through. I've got research involved. And then some of it's just like, hey man, my son be sucking my wife's titty and looking at me in the face. How the fuck you gonna make eye contact with me while you eating, B? Get your mouth off my wife's titty while you make eye right. contact with me, my nigga. Those are mine. Yeah. Both of those jokes are honest feelings I've had. So if I tell the, the more aggressive one, is that my real comedy? Or if I tell a thoughtful joke while I use statistics and try to explain something and inform the crowd, is that not my personality? Both are true. And That's the, why we have to stay away from labels. We are what enough we of ourselves. Defined as, right. It's like, no. That's I the fear, though. I do whatever That's the fear is, is that you're I, trying to create art that people identify with, and you're afraid if you don't do it in a way that you've seen before, they won't get it. That's the fear. They won't get me. And fuck them. But influencers, I wrote, I wrote about this. <laughs> I wrote about this the other day. I was like, are we not all trying to influence? And if that's the case, influencers that we were influenced by made their own way in in their own way. That's why we became influenced by them. Like, wow, look what they did, right? That was so, so different. That was, that so, was so different. Unique. So it's like, why do we try to become them or be try to come or become anyone for that matter when we know that's what we're we're searching for? I, I think we're all trying to get a check. And we could take all of this out of that well I'm an artist just to be an artist, just to be an artist, just to be an artist. Okay. 
But how do we define our success? And if you define it by getting a check, then every now and then there are concessions that you think you have to make. I'm starting to define my success by completion, like books and stories and things that I've been trying to do. And, and, you know, I completed a story recently and I was proud of that. And I said, this makes me a successful story writer because I actually finished the story that I've been trying to finish. And see, and I never used to do that. Completion is an interesting way of it because when you succeed in completing something it doesn't matter if people like it or not no and i think people don't complete things because what if i complete it and it's not good i don't give a shit anymore because i used to care about that i ain't gonna lie i used to care on whether or not i was accepted i was talking to my therapist about this whether or not i was liked whether or not because i had a it was a big issue about my 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 uh it was a family issue Mm -hmm. and somebody in my family was offended about uh us us asking whether or not another side of the family was, did they come from educators? So they was offended that we weren't talking about our side of the family as if we were calling them uneducated. But that's not what was said. So what that tells me is that you are insecure with your own intelligence. You don't feel like you are where you need to be. So you spew that energy out onto me. And I used to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. I used to always say, you know, Oh, well, no. What you mean? I am smart. Or what you mean? I am this. Or what you mean? I am nice. Nobody (laughs) said you're not. And not only that, you don't have to say you're smart. You don't have to say you're nice. You don't have to say you're happy if you genuinely are these things. Most people who say they're nice are not. Right. Right. You know I'm a fucking woman. Because, and that's just, I don't have to, you know what I mean? I don't have to do that. But we get so caught up. And trying to prove it. And trying to prove it. And that's where I saw my success within my career really start to happen. I'm not trying to prove to these motherfucking comics out here that say I don't hit the stage enough. I'm not trying to prove to them that, uh, oh, I'm out here on my grind. I'm out here doing this. I'm yeah. out. No, I write. I enjoy writing. Yeah. I perform at Second City. And I enjoy performing grind. at Second City. Sometimes I do stand-up. I enjoy doing stand-up. You know what I mean? Like These are things that I enjoy. And yeah. when I complete a project, because I enjoyed doing it, the process of I was successful. That was my success, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I think I think that's the the fear comes from not knowing how to identify or not making your own definition of success. Mm-hmm. Having one given to you. I yes. was I was told that success meant making X amount of dollars by X age, owning a house worth at least this much, and a car like this, and having a wife that does this, and. And then I realized that wasn't my definition of success. That was the one that was given to me. And I was trying to live up to someone else's definition of success. And so I would be successful and still wasn't happy. And I couldn't figure that shit out. And one day I was like, shit, success to me is doing what the fuck you want to do well. So I do comedy well. And people laugh at it, and people enjoy it, and people remember it. Uh, short, quick story. I was locked up with a dude, and he kept walking up to me going, I don't know where I know you from. And finally, he walked up to me and went, you that funny motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I seen you do stand. Boy, you funny as a motherfucker, man. I saw you at the Laugh Factory. Me and my wife never go to comedy shows. We went to the comedy show. It was all right at first. And then you came on stage. We were like, this motherfucker funny as shit. Mm-hmm. And he said, "This was it fucked us up because we were on the north side. Like This was just funny on the nose. This wasn't like white funny. You were just funny. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm funny. You know me because I'm funny. That's what I wanted to be. He could have said, I know you because you drive a 7 Series with them 20s. I used to see you in the neighborhood. I had to pay for that. But you knew me for something I got paid to do that I love doing. Mm -hmm. That I created. That I created. That's my success. So if you haven't defined your own success, if you haven't asked, and you've done that now, success to you is finishing the thing. Overcoming a fear means what if my success, I'm already there. What if I'm already successful? What if I've already got the things that I I want? Mm -hmm. Am I not a a good person? Am I not a good American? Am I not, because Americans, you gotta achieve. But what if I like my shit? What if I That's like my... That's the thing my... with listening to other people and what their ideas are about mm-hmm. even even uh, religion and shit. Like, but people think that Ooh. you should, oh, if you don't do this, then you ain't, you ain't right. Or if you don't do that. I've seen so many nice people that were just genuinely good people that didn't have any particular religious practice at all. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anything. Yeah, one of my they best friends is an atheist were... on purpose, but yeah. he's one of the best people in my life. It's like, do. you know, and I, I hate I hate what I think about that, how we try to put people in these boxes and we try to say, you're like this. I was having a conversation with a young lady 
at the show I did on Monday at the promontory and afterwards she came up to me and she was like she grabbed my hand and just had this really emotional moment for herself she started crying and everything and it wasn't necessarily a good thing she was trying to tell me to change some things within, oh, yeah. within you know my particular way I approach life right mm -hmm. and she was like you know I listened to you and I felt like blah 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 and blah 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 and then a couple walked out and was like oh my god my wife lost her job today we weren't even gonna come out and you changed how we are going to go home and end this night right therefore I'm not trying to right. be who you think I should be, young lady that's, that's holding it. my hand crying to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be you. Whatever your route has been to get to where you are, mm -hmm. that's your route. Whatever my route has been to get to where I am, if I'm satisfied with that, then that's my route. If I'm not satisfied with that, then maybe I should change some things. But that has that's to be the my limit, Those decision. Those are the limits. I don't, I'm not allowed to think. Because the, the tears came from the conflict that she had in herself. The conflict was... Wow, I like this woman. She is a good woman. The things that she's telling me are very beneficial. I am so amazed that I'm hearing these things. Oh no, she's not the same religion I am. Oh no, she doesn't eat the same way I eat. Oh no, she didn't marry the way that I would internal, marry. So now I yeah. can't like her, right? Because in order to like her, she has to validate me. And she's not validating me in the ways that I think are important. So there are Christians, Muslims, Jews, whatever, who do that on a regular basis. They've been taught that this is the only way to be good. So even though I recognize the goodness in you, you can't actually be good because you're not because wearing a cross XYZ. or you're not praying five times a day. Dude, if you're good, you're good. If you're anybody, not, you're not. Anybody can be good. I don't care how mean you think. I, I honestly think that Trump has something good about him. There's some things that's, that's in him. That's where we differ. That <laughs> I don't think there's things, a thing about no, him that's redeeming. No, some things about him that it is some qualities about him that we can admire, and that but it's the way that his mind is wired, and that's fine. A lot of the times that when we hate other people or we have issues with other people, mm -hmm. it is the same exact issue that we have with ourselves. And I'll say this. Uh, one of the things that I admire about you is that you could see something good. <laughs> and it, But, you know, that's a thing that everyone can't do. I, and I, I can see most people I can and I'm not saying he's the only exception there's some people I'm just like fuck that person because I, and I think it's more of a scales thing I'm sure that Trump has done a nice thing somewhere you know what I mean but my brain is just wired to this place that, man you fucking too many people over right now for me to even not acknowledge that there's some good there but yeah you're you're absolutely everybody probably right has good everybody has some good and, and sometimes it's just so deep yeah. Lee Berry that you can't see it. Well, I'd like but to split him open and find it. Because because of where I should have seen how straight my face was when I said this. I'd like to split that motherfucker open and find the good in him. I yeah, know he, he would probably a, die. He had a really rough face. I'm scared to uh, <laughs> proceed with next week's podcast messing around with this nigga. Uh, no, but seriously, I think I have that, a podcast next week. They're going to come shut this. That's true. One of the one of the, the, the Few and by the way, if you're watching, listening to the podcast this week, share it with people. Tell them that we uh, are worth listening to because you've been listening. So apparently you found something worth listening to. And sorry that it's 53 minutes. And because, not 30 like we usually because do. Because felonious keep fucking talking. Um, Every week. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for listening. We're actually going to wrap it up there. And, right there. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about fears and things that we're running from. Dipset. Because we really didn't. This week, and I wanted to. Hallelujah, holla back. Would you stop? Goodbye, y'all. Have a good one. Have ah! a good one. <laughs> Jeez. Y'all know I ain't got no home train. I just came home, son. Oh. I'm out here like I just. Sometimes there's just nothing left to say. Sometimes Kelly will say.